The Daily Rios episode 501, Smallville Season 2, Part 4. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Welcome to episode 501. Did you listen to 500? I would really like to hear some feedback on that anniversary episode, especially because I'm planning on doing more, smaller versions, uh, but definitely some panel-type shows. Um, probably once a month. Uh, I, I do have two more Daily Rios episodes to edit, both Zoom-related. Hopefully you'll enjoy those. There's a new Legion Project episode, which was re just released, uh, a new Crisis Tapes was released last week, but for today, week 8 of the Daily Smallville. Episodes 18 through 23 of Smallville Season 2, finally, finally, wrapping up Season 2, yay! The titles are Visitor, Precipice, Witness, Accelerate, Calling, and the Season Finale of Exodus. Also in this episode, I'm going to talk about the Smallville comic, Issues 1 and 2. If you've been listening along with these podcasts, back in the Daily Rios episode 497, I covered the very first Smallville magazine comic that DC released, just prior to the start of Smallville Season 2. What I'm covering in this episode is the start of a run of magazine comics for Smallville. So they did start at issue number one again. Same format, interviews behind-the-scenes stuff, one or two new comic stories. For example, this new first issue, which was released between episodes 17 and 18, so basically right before the run of these episodes. Um, there's another Tom Welling interview focusing on how the show really took off between seasons one and two. It mentions that Smallville is the number one show on the WB in its second season. There's an article about... A day on the set during Dichotic, the episode featuring Jonathan Taylor Thomas. There's a season one guide for a few episodes. And then there's a new comic story entitled Pat Paterfamilias uh, by Mark Verheiden, Clint Carpenter, pencils by Killian Plunkett, Mark Morales on inks, Jeremy Cox, color artist, and letterers, letters by Comic Craft. The story plays out just like one of the episodes. Pete and Clark are out in the woods uh, at the same spot where Pa used to teach Clark as a kid to learn to control his powers, but the boys want to explore them even more in even more grander ways than you could probably even do on television. There's a character named Kenny Cavanaugh who has camouflage powers due to the meteor uh, shower that killed his dad, and um, he wants a new father figure in his life, so he goes after Pa Kent. Some of the dialogue is pretty spot on, especially with Lana and Chloe. And of course, by the end, Lex takes Kenneth away to one of his research labs in secret. Uh, these are total tie-in comics for the diehard Smallville fan. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure they are for an ongoing comics fan. I, I mean, they are, but um, the stories feel very... Um, episodes brought to the comic book as opposed to being comic book stories. 
Uh, I'm reading them because I'm a completist. <laughs> I'm a total completist. Uh, but I don't think you're missing out if you don't read these issues. I'll talk about the second issue at the end of this episode since it was released shortly after the finale. General thoughts for this run of episodes. This final batch of week eight episodes here at the end of season two had a lot to live up to against week seven, especially considering uh, week seven had the best run of episodes to date, including the best episode to date, Rosetta. And I think I even remember wondering last episode after Rosetta, after the Christopher Reeve appearance, Clark learning about Krypton, I wondered where do we go from here? And these six episodes don't, I was surprised at how mundane they start out with very little connection to the impact of Rosetta. I mean, it's there, but not right away. And these six episodes don't score as high as week seven, but they're fairly decent. So Visitor and Precipice were about a 3.75 on a scale of five. Witness is like 3.75, maybe a four. Accelerate is a three, Calling is a five, and Exodus is a 4.75. Let's just jump in episode by episode. Again, I'm thinking that you're watching along, so there isn't much in the way of story detail. Just some, you know, quick synopsis, some larger thoughts, continuing threads, etc. We start with episode 18, Visitor. After a schoolmate named Cyrus claims to be an alien and seemingly backs it up by using heat vision, Clark decides to investigate and begins to believe that the guy is from Krypton, especially after learning last episode that Clark may be the sole survivor of Krypton. Uh, meanwhile, Helen discovers a locked room in the mansion. She demands to know from Lex what's behind it, forcing Lex to come clean about his investigation of Clark. This episode started like a season one kryptonite monster of the week episode but then about a third of the way in it remembers oh right I, we're in season two and and that's when some of the rosetta stuff uh comes up probably the most interesting aspect is that uh cyrus witnessed clark's arrival as a baby in the spaceship during the meteor storm uh, cyrus of course lost his family in the storm, but gained powers, gained knowledge. He was a young kid at the time. There might be evidence in the story that perhaps the ship gave off some signals, which is how Cyrus uh, has Kryptonian knowledge. So he's trying to build a tower, a broadcasting tower. It almost looks like a monitor vibrational tower from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Cyrus believes that he can use this towers to connect with his people out in space. Uh, or that there might be a ship that's going to arrive soon, so he has to send some kind of signal. Now, surprisingly, by the end of the episode, the tower actually works, and a beam is sent out into space. Now, there's no responding ship, but it did make me wonder what was the signal, where did it land, since I think it was aimed to the point in space where Krypton, Krypton should be. Um, it's almost like this episode went X-Files for about half of the episode. Uh, some other points in this episode. In the prologue, Cyrus's odd nature brings him head-to-head -head with a couple of, of the bullies in the school, 
because Smallville is full of bullies. We're going to talk about that in uh, another episode. The interesting thing is a few of them try to step up to Clark when Clark defends Cyrus. And it just it just made me wonder, have they not watched Smallville? Do they not know what Clark is capable of? Um, by this point, you, you have to assume that most of the students or some of the students uh, know about Clark and his, his savior complex, and, and he always seems to be there. Rumors should be starting by now. Uh, Cyrus uses science to make it, make it look like he has powers, but he is shown to have real powers. He brings a horse back to life. Um, he brings one of the bullies back to life at the end. I don't know what that was all meant to be outside of just healing abilities, but um, it is interesting to still see people of Smallville react in shock whenever they come up against the weird. You know, Lana sees him, sees Cyrus bring this horse back to life, and she's amazed and surprised. But she has seen other weird things, so it's kind of like, okay, again, don't these characters watch the show week to week? Um, by the end, Cyrus loses his mind. Um, it's another loose end, like we have become familiar with whenever we're up against one of these characters. A little bit about Clark and the Kents. Clark was hoping a little too hard that Cyrus was an alien, that he wasn't, you know, a brother, if you want to say, so that he's not alone. Um, Martha has a line that I was like, yes, thank you. Martha's watching the show. She's watching the show. She says, um, he's not the first person in Smallville to have unusual abilities. It's like, yes, okay, we're two seasons in. This is the a town that is weird. People should have these kind of thoughts. But really, Clark is just leaping logic in a single bound all over the place. He just wants Cyrus to be from Krypton. Um, and, I, and for once, I'm with the Kents on this one. Uh, he's just acting too irrational and, and trying to use the information he learned from Swan last episode in Rosetta to, to kind of speed up his knowledge to make it feel like he is not alone. And then ultimately when it comes down to, when it comes down for Clark to follow through with what Cyrus is saying, you know, he's trying to get Clark to join him. Clark says, everything I care about is on earth. And I think Clark learned that in the moment. I think we saw that he was discovering that in the moment. And that's an, a really great um, Superman thing. It's also a little bit of the Superman mythos and the Smallville mythos that will play in the season finale. Clark does use this opportunity with Cyrus to see what Lana would think uh, if she knew there was an alien among them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, a little bit about Martha and her pregnancy. She's not feeling well. She wants to see Bryce. Uh, they make a comment about Bryce's, um, Helen Bryce, Lex Luthor's fiance. Martha makes a comment about how she conceived. And um, it almost was suggesting that it wasn't through sex, that it was through the ship, and that the ship made it all happen. But I, I have to, I have to assume that. That's not what Smallville is trying to go for, I don't think, because it doesn't really come up again. And look, Ma and Pa Kent, uh, they're kind of a sassy couple. I believe they're having sex. So it, it just was the, the dialogue was hinting at something um, that maybe wasn't there. This is the episode post-Rosetta 
where the meteor rocks finally get a name, kryptonite. And um, somebody asks, I think Pete asks, is that with a C or a K? Which is kind of like the first Superman movie dialogue. And then I mentioned Lex and Helen Bryce. Um, Lex asks Clark, do you believe there are aliens among us, Clark? And anytime Lex tries to poke Clark's brain, I just think, okay, he's fishing, he's fishing, be, be careful. Um, Lex decides to show Helen what is behind that locked door, and it's the same thing like he had before. It has the broken down Porsche, it has um, pictograms of the cave paintings, it has the disc uh, and kryptonite, um, elements from other episodes, and a lot of information on Clark, including the Kryptonian language that he threw away, that he wrote on a piece of paper and threw away, which was a nice callback. And and Lex says, they're an interesting family, don't you think? And, you know, Helen knows a lot about the Kents because she has a vial of Clark's blood from two episodes back. So this will come out to play later. Next up, we have episode 19, Precipice. This was a simple episode, really. Um, Lana is assaulted at the Talon by a group of college students, causing Clark to come to her rescue and put a major hurt on them. Now, of course, this comes with consequences, including a run-in with the new sheriff of Smallville. The second story also deals with an assault. Helen's ex-boyfriend arrives in town, intent on winning her back, but when she turns him down, he brutally beats her up, prompting Lex to take the law into his own hands. Not a bad episode. Production is good. Acting is solid. Story is a little formulaic, but a few character stories get pushed in small ways. Um, we see Lana's resilience. We maybe see the seed of how Lex and Lana will develop. Uh, Lex decides to propose to Helen in this episode. There's a new sheriff. Um, if I have any kind of drawback to this episode, I kind of wish the stuff with Clark acting out of anger was played up more. I wish it had something to do a little bit more with the Kents, a little bit more with teaching him about his powers, etc. Okay, like the previous episode, the men of Smallville are terrible. Whether they're a kryptonite monster of the week, uh, a student at Smallville High, most of the adults, they are just terrible. I don't understand why anyone would want to stay in Smallville, first of all, after the meteor storm, but secondly, the toxic nature of the men in Smallville is crazy. It's just, it's really bad. So these college kids, you know, they just out and out just assault Lana. And quite frankly, um, it's a little troubling how much trouble she gets into that the writers put her through. So Clark has to deal with that. He gets in trouble with the law again. He's charged with misdemeanor, misdemeanor battery because he saved Lana by tossing one of the creeps onto the new sheriff's car. So we did, we are getting a new sheriff for uh, the remainder of this season and I assume for the next season as well. She is played by Camille, Camille Mitchell, who has some other geek-related credits. Uh, and she's going to cause a whole mess of trouble, not only for Clark, but for Lex and other people, other characters as well. Now, I saw a couple of um, synopsis for this episode where they said that Clark uh, was uh, kind of 
lost control when he was fighting these characters. But that's not how I read it at all. I really, I mean, he was just, he was angry at what they did to Lana. He was taking it out on them. Um, there is a point where Lana questions how Clark could could be, you know, so brutal. But then she always says, you know, that he's always there to save her. Um, but ultimately, she needs to do it herself. And this is where uh, Lex Luthor steps in and decides to give her uh, defense training, you know, the whole patented Lana Lang kick that she uses quite a lot. Uh, and by the end, she manages to learn some some moves and, and can take care of herself, uh, you know, to a, a certain degree. Um, and if that means we can stop having her be the damsel in distress, I am all for it. Now, on the flip side of this, we have Helen's ex-boyfriend who has come to town. Come to town. His name is Paul Hayden, played by Anson Mounts, who was Black Bolt on ABC's Inhumans. He was, and he is also Captain Pike on Star Trek Discovery. Kind of odd to see him. Um, he does really, as I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, put a hurt on Helen. So these two stories are kind of playing along side by side. You you have uh, Lana almost getting attacked, and you see what Clark does in response. You have Helen, who does get attacked, so you just assume, okay, when you weigh Clark with Lex, if Clark was uh, went out of his way to get revenge or, or defend her, what is Lex going to do? But it turns out he doesn't go, um, he doesn't slip into his Luther uh, personality, you know, he... You think he's going to kill this ex-boyfriend, but he doesn't by the end. And he even mentions to uh, Helen that it's because of her and that he gets his strength from her. Maybe he's grown up a bit, and that's why he proposes at the end. There's a great line that Lana has when she's talking about Lex. Lex has a way of bringing out a side of me that's both scary and liberating at the same time. Now, again, this Lana Lang is only 15, 16, and Lex is about 21, 22. But I did write, careful there, Lana, we know where this all leads. And in Clark's story, he has a line, again, resonating from Rosetta, where one of the messages that he learned was... Uh, the ship or Jorel talking about the human race and saying they're a flawed race, rule them with strength. And it's kind of Clark's way of, of kind of going, okay, you know, that's not the route that I want to go. But it's also the show in small ways uh, starting to be under the lens of what we learned in Rosetta, which is where it should be, you know, by this point. Somewhere in the middle of the episode, you know, I was like, okay, this is kind of veering off into just a generic episode, but um, you could skip it. There are some things in it that are kind of interesting, but uh, it's, it's like I said, it was a 3.75. Okay, episode 20, Witness. Clark stumbles upon a robbery of a Luther Corps truck and is stunned to realize that he can't stop the thieves because they are as strong as he is. To keep Clark from going to the police, the thugs attack Jonathan and Martha and the torch, leaving Clark feeling powerless and desperate for a way to protect the people around him. Now, I enjoyed this episode. It was nice to have uh, the antagonist wrapped up into what's going on with 
both Luthers and um, and in the larger story of how the show takes a look at Clark's abilities. Uh, it's a little bit of a return to the kryptonite monster of the week, sort of, um, because the characters are huffing kryptonite through an inhaler. I couldn't quite think of a good Legion of Superheroes universe character that needs drugs for their power, unless there's an obvious choice that I'm blanking on. And this episode is a nice callback to Insurgents, which was uh, an episode that I really liked, uh, where we learned that there are bars of refined kryptonite in Lionel's office. Now, these kids are basically using steroids, right? Um, they get into a brutal confrontation with Clark in a foundry. And it's a scene that I was legit concerned for Clark. He was outnumbered. The kryptonite was there. He got a beat down. He got thrown into fire. I thought he was going to end up uh, messed up badly. Um, so that was good. Uh, that that kind of kept me on the edge of my seat. And then ultimately to defeat these hooligans, uh, Clark gets some advice from Pa and just uh, says to him, you know, you have more powers than just strength. Be smart about your powers uh, the next time you go up against them. And that's what Clark does. So this episode brings Lionel back to Smallville, um, also because he wants to needle Lex about Lex's recent engagement. Um because these punks took out some of their frustrations on Chloe and uh, through the torch, they basically trashed the torch for something that she wrote up. We get the first meetup, I think, between Lionel and Chloe. So in this episode, the Trinity, Clark, Lana, and Chloe, are once again in a bad place. Uh, because at the start of the episode, Clark totally forgot about uh, having to write an article and and Chloe is pissed off and the two of them are mad and it leads to a broken friendship. It leads to uh, Clark no longer working at the torch. I mean, the whole thing kind of goes nuclear, which is a little bit odd because last episode they were fine. So I'm thinking, okay, why are they doing this? And then Lionel meets Chloe and you go, oh, right, something something's going to happen. Lionel starts buttering her up, talks about her journalism, starts to dangle a possible gig at the Daily Planet for her. And, you know, you put all the pieces together and you're like, right, right. Lionel is totally trying to get through Clark or get to Clark through Chloe. And that is something we'll talk about uh, at the end of the season as well. It leads to a, a really great scene where Lionel visits Chloe at the torch and he sees the wall of weird. And that's something that I've been waiting for. I, I've said it often, Lionel is probably one of my favorite characters in the show. And it's been real interesting to see his uh, journey and how he, um, almost by accident initially, uh, comes to this whole Smallville Clark story. So... Everything that he's learned between, you know, Clark, while he was blind, um, everything that he's learned about Clark, the caves, the meteor rocks, helping out with Clark's adoption way back when, it really was only a matter of time before he was going to see the wall and use it. Uh, it's almost like he sees it and everything just kind of falls into place when it comes to everything Clark Kent. 
And it really goes to show how smart he is, considering that Chloe has been staring at this wall every day and still hasn't figured out Chloe's uh, Clark's secret. The episode ends with a, with this confrontation between the two of them, and it's really just a great ending. I, I liked it. It, it. it was kind of uncertain, the way that Chloe was looking at Lionel as he walked off, um, uh, wondering, you know, why is he helping me? What does he want? It's, it's just really great. Also in this episode, there's a small confrontation between Lana and Jennifer Small, the wife of Lana's real dad, Henry Small, uh, because Jennifer is getting ready to divorce Henry, although he doesn't know it. And Lana learns this and decides to tell Henry that his marriage is more important than than her being uh, his daughter, which I was like, what, really? Okay. Um, but in a way, that's what this show does to Lana. It gives her something and then takes it away. And that's uh, a continuing trend. The whole thing with the thugs and the and the truck carrying the kryptonite, you know, is is the first seed, the first step into Lionel returning to Smallville and something's going on. And we'll talk about that in another episode. Um, it's interesting to see how Michael Rosenbaum plays Lex Luthor differently around Lionel than with other people. Probably because he needs to be more Lex-like around his father. And definitely contrasted to last episode where he was, Lex was far more grounded with the rest of the cast, showed a little bit more of his emotional side, um, and and last episode was a teaching moment for Lex. But this one, he has to go full Lex, he's back to the confrontation, the, the struggle, the continuing struggle with his father, uh, the struggle with his destiny. So it's always nice to see how some of these a lot of these actors kind of change depending on who they are in a scene with. Episode 21, Accelerate. Uh, after Lana is visited by the ghost of a childhood friend, she turns to Clark for help in uncovering the truth about her new visitor. However, Clark realizes the little girl is actually a kryptonite-enhanced clone, and he rushes to save Lana before... The, the child clone harms her. She's not a ghost. She just has super speed. And we learn that there's a secret that Lana's been holding on to in her past, a secret that we've never heard of and we'll never hear of again, I'm, sh I'm sure. Um, and then we also learn that Lex has discovered that Lionel has been funding this cloning research. Surprise, surprise. Um, and it's not... It's an episode that um, might I might have to put a pin in in it because of uh, things that happen later with cloning. But while I was watching it, about by the time I got to like Act Three, Act Four, I was like, I'm out. I, I don't like this episode. You can definitely skip this episode. It's uh, an episode. Okay, so the story wasn't written by them, but the teleplay, the filmed script was by Peterson and Souders. And these are two writers that I've talked about before. They wrote Nocturne and they wrote Skinwalkers. And I don't know, I just do not like episodes that ha have their name attached to it. And it makes me really worried, as I talked about before, because they become the showrunners for Smallville, uh, I guess, in the last two seasons or so. I forget what it is. But anyway, they become the showrunners at some point. And that scares me. Um, 
this episode and just like some of the other episodes they wrote has a quality that I just don't enjoy. I just don't enjoy. Uh, so that's why this episode was a flat three. Um, okay, so the whole cloning thing behind this little ghost girl speedster um, and the reason why it's all wrapped up into Lana is because she is a childhood friend of Lana's who died when they were young. So apparently they they, they were playing on a bridge over a river. Lana fell in. I guess the little girl fell in too or was trying to save her. And then the little girl winds up drowning. And Lana did not fa uh, save her. Um, so, of course, that haunts Lana forever. Like, okay. Even though we've never heard of it. Now, I think it's a little bit of a phony, dramatic background to put onto the character. Um, to further this, this idea that she's plagued with other people dying or leaving her in her life. Um, but yet this one now really is her fault, right? Like even, even if she might think some of the other ones are her fault, she feels like this one really is more or less. Um, and I think that's cheap. I think it's, we already have enough on Lana, um, she already has enough trauma in her life that this is like kind of like an unnecessary one. And quite frankly, she gets pushed into the river by this little girl at the end of the episode. And of course, Clark saves her. Um, the trauma that she goes through as a character is enough. I think I'm, I'm like, I'm like done with it, <laughs> especially watching back to back like this, watching these episodes close together. It's a cycle and it's, it's, it's too much. It's really is too much. So, of course, all the cloning stuff is really about Lionel. Uh, as I mentioned, there are future seasons that deal with all of this. So it's really just a matter of time before it connects back. Um, there's a, a line that was kind of interesting when they're talking about the little girl as a clone. They say, she has no concept of right or wrong. She's dangerous. And, and I thought, okay, that could be a really, that could be a way maybe they're trying to set like a ground rule for clones in Smallville. So we'll, we'll keep watch on that. Some other smaller points in this episode, uh, when they're talking about whether this girl is a ghost or not, Clark says, look, it's not like people haven't come back to life around here. Again, I always appreciate when the characters do not ignore the town's weird history. Uh, we get a scene where Clark matches the little girl's speed. It's very Zack Snyder-like when, when he switches into speed mode. And I thought, wow. How fast is Clark? Because in this scene, the rain stops. And it's one thing to run distances, um, to to be almost as fast as bullets. Um, but here he's, it's almost like he's stopping time and that he's able to run on this level where nothing is moving. So that was that was fascinating to see. Lana at the end says to Clark, maybe I need to start believing in you, Clark. They're pushing their relationship, as we'll see. Um, Lionel, again, trying to dig at Lex about his engagement, decides to give uh, Lex and Helen a Caribbean honeymoon and use of his private jet. That's not going to end well. Um... Out of nowhere, Lionel has control of the caves now. It wasn't even something that was part of this story. It was just kind of like brought up in this scene. And I thought, wait a minute, who's been talking about the caves? This episode's about a little girl and cloning. And 
out of nowhere, this rant, it's like almost, it's like the, the writers or producers were like, oh, by the way, let's, let's put this little wrinkle in because we need it for the next couple of episodes. Very odd. We learned that the little girl, her name is Emery, Emily, is a prototype. And I thought, hmm, is Lex trying to create his own Clark? Is that what he's doing here? And in a way, it's strange. Like, okay, so this show has had kryptonite monsters of the week. But then all of a sudden, this cloning angle gets thrown in, and we see other, we see multiple versions of this girl. And I, I was kind of weirded out by it. it. It almost didn't fit. Um, part of that had to do with the tone of this episode, but um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, and I have one more note about Lionel. He he has changed since season one. He's less bombastic, um, less almost Shakespearean. And he's way more calculating. He's almost reserved in his interactions. He has a lot of information that he knows. And it's every time he has a scene with somebody, he's trying to learn more. So really, it, it just comes down to that he's up to something. He has a long game. And it's been a lot of fun noticing the change in him and noticing where he goes from being, you know, Lionel Luther. Uh, con in control of everything and trying to teach his son a lesson and and doing what he can to make money, et cetera, or whatever. But then, oh, there's a mystery going on with the meteor shower with Clark, and now he he shows why he is Lionel Luther. It's great. It's just really great. Um, also, in this episode, at the at the start of this episode in the Talon Theater, take a look out for Evangeline Lilly behind Clark making, I think this is like her third appearance now. Yeah, so Kate, Kate from Lost. Which brings us to episode 22, The Calling. Finally, uh, an episode that is a, a hot five. In this episode, Dr. Walden, who was the scientist hired by Lex to take a look at the caves and then got struck by um, one of its inherent powers and then got knocked into a coma, he wakes up from his coma and tells both Lex and Lionel that Clark is an alien and he must be destroyed. There is a romantic encounter between Clark and Lana, finally hinting at a promising future, maybe. But after Chloe finds out that they're together, Lana decides to pull back. This is a good episode. It's very important in the development of Smallville. It is the second to last episode of the season, so that ten those tend to be uh, very important. I was completely engaged watching this episode the whole time. We get Rosetta stuff. We get the cave stuff. Uh, Clark and Lana and Chloe. Uh, Lex, Helen, and Lionel. I mean, there's just things moving forward. So Clark and Lana um, kiss, finally, without any kind of mind whammy jammies or anything. It's just them kissing about time. And they decide to take the plunge and be a couple, somewhat. Um, Clark is all into it. In fact, I think he's almost too eager to be with Lana at this point. You can almost see that his eagerness is um, really going to be the reason why it fails. Lana, however, is not so eager, especially when, once again, Clark, Chloe comes in and she can kind of sense something is going on. Uh, Lana starts to have second thoughts. Um, in Act 1, there's a scene in the town. If you listen to the lyrics while she talks, you can just hear all of the subtext. 
And then later on, Lana says, look, there are three friendships at stake here. Um, and she's not wrong when it comes to, you know, Chloe and Clark and Lana. Um, and ultimately, Lana's just not at ease yet with Clark's lack of complete honesty. So they finally have moved forward with this couple, but you can see how it could quickly fray. And, um, you know, it, it's destined to be that way, right? We know that it's not going to be Lana for the rest of Clark's life. We know that, first of all, we know that Lois eventually shows up if you just want to talk about the Superman mythos. But then we also know that she shows up in Smallville as well. Now, I don't know if the creators knew that this early, but ultimately it is always about Lois. But after two seasons of Clark pining, um, it did make me think, well, we should root for this couple, right? I mean, that's that's been the touchstone for Clark since episode one. And I almost feel like if I didn't know Lois was coming, would I be more optimistic about their kiss and about their future? So um, by the end, they have, um, I think Lana kind of turns around and try, finally like kind of accepts that this is going to happen. And they kiss in the barn. Of course, Chloe sees them. And if you think about what she's wrapped up into with uh, Lionel, um, you know that I just knew it was coming. I knew she was going to see them kiss, which means I know what she's going to do with Lionel. Um, and again, I don't know. She's not my favorite character. Sometimes she's written terribly, and sometimes she is just terrible. You know, Pete started this season off well, uh, and they finally gave him kind of like a role a real role when he when he learns about Clark's identity. But now he's, again, back to being a small part of the show. And with Chloe, she was really like Clark's point person when it came to all of the kryptonite monster of the week and all of the we wall of weird stuff, especially in season one. But that's changed because that's not what the season's about. So this, this is going to put Chloe on a path um, that was set up last episode and we're going to see um, next episode. Speaking of relationships, Lex and Helen, her office, her, her doctor's office is ransacked because she has the blood, Clark's blood, in a, in a I don't know, refrigerator, <laughs> um, and it gets stolen. And um, she accuses Jonathan at first, who tries to warn her that Lex is not the man you think he is. Um, but sure enough, eventually... She starts to find out things about Lex. Lex has that file on Martha Kent from way back in the insurgent. Oh, no, that he got at the end of Fever. Um, and Lionel catches Helen snooping in Lex's office and then starts to plant all kinds of doubt in her mind. Eventually, at the end of this episode, we see that Lex does have the blood. He does have it. She doesn't know it yet, but he has it. And... I wrote here in my notes, this is kind of next stage stuff. Everything that he just learned um, in this episode with Waldron calling Clark out, saying that he's an alien, everything that Lex has learned in previous episodes, I hope they don't backtrack in season three. I hope they really push that he has this knowledge. So let's dig into what happens with Waldron. This is the good stuff. This is stuff... This is everything the caves has been has been building to and Rosetta. 
um, Waldron wakes up and he keeps saying, the day is coming, the day is coming. Now we hear it in Waldron's voice, but there is one other time where we hear it in another voice. Clark hears it in another voice. We start to hear that Superman music and it's like, hmm, what is that all about? Um, so Walden wakes up, Lex tries to confine him, eventually Walden es escapes. So Lex brings Clark in because there are symbols all over the place and it's really like you could see that Lex is trying to get a read on Clark. Clark has been very interested in the caves and he clearly knows stuff. Lex knows stuff. Um, he's just trying to keep him close. Um, Waldron goes to the caves, the symbols get rearranged. We get a scene with Lionel and Clark at the caves. It's a callback to Insurgents. It's a great scene. The entire time, just watch Lionel's face when he talks to Clark. You can tell Lionel knows. He it's just written on his face that he's asking questions with of Clark, but he already knows. It's so good. It's so good. So this message of the day is coming, there's more to it. The day is coming when the last son will begin his quest to rule the third planet. This is everything that Clark has been worried about since Rosetta, that he was sent here to conquer and um, that he has a destiny that he just doesn't want to be part of. Um, Walden flat out states that this is all about Clark Kent. And um, when he's talking, when Walden is talking to Lionel and Lex, Lionel is just like pushing. He wants more information, more information. But Lex has this like, he has this look on his face. It's it's almost like shock. But in a way, it's not like Lex is learning it at the time. It's almost like Lex is, he, he's not, he's hearing what he didn't want to hear. He It's almost like he has um, pushed this information, pushed this knowledge deep down and tried to avoid the conclusion that Clark is involved. And the way Walden talks to him, you can just see Lex's face like he's like, this is, I know this, but I don't want to know this. It's great. It's really, really good. There's a turning point here. It really just has to be a turning point. Both Luthers already know something is up with Clark. Now it's just a matter of what do they do with all this new knowledge. By the end, Walden has a confrontation with Clark at the barn. Uh, Clark manages to work himself out of it, and, and Walden is killed in the process, um, accidentally or whatever. Um, there's a point where Walden uh, points his finger, uses his finger hand or his finger to, to lift Clark in the air, and I thought, oh look, that's the power that everybody makes fun of in Superman 2, the finger point telekinesis, making its return here in Smallville, not for Clark, but for a villain which is how the Phantom Zone villains used it in um, the first in the second Superman movie. So I'm like, hmm, that's I like that. I like that little connection. I like that little, almost like an explanation. Um, I'm a little uncertain why whatever entered Walden from the caves, why it would be so antagonistic to Clark. Uh, I, I kind of, I thought maybe it's because it was Walden's humanity, not being able to process and handle the Kryptonian information, so maybe he's getting it wrong, and that's why he's attacking Clark? Or is it because someone other than Clark uh, accessed the symbols and the caves 
So it it's starting from a different point. Maybe maybe it has to reset. I don't know. Um, that's why this makes me think, or that's why it made me think that Zod was behind this or some other force. Because every time Walden would use the the cave wall, it wasn't the classic Superman S symbol. It was some other symbol. It looked it looked like a Z. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'll have thoughts about this in next episode as well. So Walden does die. He gets all burned up. But because he had, I believe he had the disc, um, it's imprinted on his palm. So of course Lionel, <laughs> Lionel wants the the hand cut off, and he's going to keep it. It's really creepy. Also, Lionel has another scene with Chloe. Sure enough, he wants and asks Chloe to investigate Clark. We knew this was going to be the outcome, and she's stunned by it, but yep, we knew it was going to happen. And that's why when Chloe saw Clark and Lana kissing, she makes a decision, and she walks away. And, and you, you almost thought, hmm, she probably was going to come to Clark and say, hey, Lionel just told me to do this. Um, but because she's Chloe and pouty, she doesn't tell him. And, you know, I guess the decision by the end of this episode is, yes, she's going to uh, spy on Clark. And then just as you think the episode is going to end and and that scene with Chloe just ended and Clark and Lana just kissed and Lana walks away, we get the, the, the strange voice again. Kal-El, it is time. We get the music from the Superman movie. We see the ship, and sure enough, the ship has woken up, and a voice is talking to Clark, and it is Jor-El played, at least, or should say voiced, by Terrence Stamp. To be continued next episode in the finale. Now, they put Terrence Stamp's credit at the end credits, which was smart. I wish they would have done that with Christopher Reeve. So Terrence Stamp, as the voice of Jor-El, I am going to have so many thoughts about that, which I'll get to later. Title of this episode, The Calling. You can think of it as the disc calling Clark, the ship calling Clark, uh, the warning from Dr. Walden, Lex's calling to learn more about Clark, Chloe's calling to be a journalist or a snoop. It's, you know, it has so many layers. And the final episode of the season, 23, Exodus. Uh, this would have been a five episode again, uh, you know, five out of five, um, except for the ending, which I'll talk about. So um, there's a sense of foreboding surrounding Smallville as Clark must choose between staying with Lana and his family or fulfilling his destiny uh, that the ship is telling him that he has. Meanwhile, Lex and Helen plan their upcoming wedding, but outside forces may ultimately keep them apart. And Chloe considers Lionel's offer to investigate Clark. Now, I'm going to go chapter by chapter, prologue and then act one, act two for this episode, because there's a lot. This episode picks up right where the last episode ended with Clark and the ship and the voice of Jor-El. He says, I am his memory, his will, and the people of Krypton all now live through you. Those are very... Uh, Superman-like elements um, from the movie, from the comics. And then the ship says, it's time to accept your destiny. And I thought, why now? What happened? Is it because of the caves? Is it because 
of the few times that the ship has saved the Kents. Why now? I mean, he's not even Superman yet. He's not fully Superman yet. Um, unless it has to do with, uh, the ship says later, I will guide you to your future. And Clark says, I want to create my own future. And this is something that has been echoed ever since Rosetta. So it's probably because of that, right? The ship wants to steer Clark to his destiny. Um, I think at one point it even says that um, the Kents have outlived their purpose. And and um, it is now time for him to learn his Kryptonian side. Um, the, the John Williams music is everywhere in this episode. Apparently the farm is out of debt, which is great. See, everything is like going right in this episode. Clark has Lana. There's a wedding. The Kents are cool. The baby. The farm is out of debt. Um, things are happening. So of course something bad is going to happen. Uh, Clark says, this is my home. It's where I belong and I'm not going anywhere. And again, Makes me wonder why the Smallville creators wanted this tug of war um, between who Clark is and what he learns, why they wanted it to be confrontational. I mean, he was so upset in Rosetta to learn that he might be the only one that now that he has an actual resource into Krypton, sure, it's telling him to control the world. That's pretty bad. But I don't know. It's just an interesting way. The, the comics don't do that, right? Like they don't con, they don't bring this confrontation. Clark might think that Krypton is weird and strange, um, or he, in other cases, he fully embraces it, or he is kind of like a receptacle for all of the knowledge. But in this this instance, it's really it's it's confrontational. That's the word that I, I keep using. You know. Um, I wrote here, I wouldn't want to be a Kryptonian either. The way the ship talks to him, what it does to him. Um, it gives more evidence to this idea that that Clark is Superman because he is more than man, right? That's the whole purpose of the name Superman. He is more than man, which means he is more than his father, his human father, and he's more than his Kryptonian father. And it's certainly playing out that way here because uh, I just feel like he's going to learn everything he needs to learn in spite of these people, in spite of this voice of jor um, rather than from them. So Lex decides to tell Helen that he does have Clark's blood, even though he says he didn't investigate it, and says, I'm trying to break the cycle. Uh, it's Lex going up against his destiny, which is exactly what Clark is going up against, right? They, they do that a lot. I think I talked about this before. Smallville likes to steer both of these characters along the same lines, especially in one episode, and that's what's going on here. We get a scene like that in Act 2 where Lex and Clark are talking about destiny, and it's a really great scene. I thought maybe it would have something to... I thought maybe it would hit Clark a little more, considering his own thoughts about destiny at this point, but it doesn't. Uh, we get another Clark and Lionel scene in the cave. They really are some of the best scenes now. And Lionel shows Clark that he has made a new disc key because the other one was destroyed out of kryptonite. And of course, Clark staggers back and look at Lionel's face. He, again, he knows. It's so good. It's kind of like... Uh, 
the scene that would happen in Superman Returns in 2006, which came out after this episode, where Luther sees that uh, Lois's son, it might be reacting to kryptonite. It's one of the better scenes in that movie, and, and it, it's kind of um, first scene here, I guess you could say. Everybody's going off and getting ready to go to the wedding. We get a really nice moment between Clark and Jonathan Kent. Um, Clark decides to go into the storm cellar, and the ship warns him that if Clark does not concede to his destiny, that uh, the ones that he loves most will be hurt. And then he zaps Clark, the ship zaps Clark, and Clark gets a scar on his chest in the shape of a Kryptonian S, uh, a scar that is supposed to be, you know, similar to his ancestors. So he has this flayed crypt Kryptonian S on his chest, just like, you know, he would wear on his costume. Made me think of Superboy Prime, who also scarred his own chest. But I was like, whoa, again, I don't blame Clark for not wanting to dig on this ship, you know? Like, it's like, look what you did to me. So we'll see that scar come up in um, season three. In act three, Clark decides he needs to do something, and he gets Pete in on it. And um, you get this real strong sense that Clark is acting like he's never going to see his parents again. And it's a nice callback to the Visage episode, where I had questions about why is the ship reacting to kryptonite? Lana's kryptonite necklace, the kryptonite that was in Martha and Clark during Fever, and we're getting answers. Like, Clark kind of surmises maybe the ship is really trying to protect itself. So they decide to steal, steal the key that Lionel has created. Clark uses Pete as distraction. We get a great scene between Pete and Lionel, especially considering how much damage Lionel has done to Pete's family. There's even a point where Lionel is going to strike Pete. He lifts his hand. He's going to smack him. I thought, whoa, you don't get under Lionel's skin like that. We don't see that often. And I thought, wow, that was great. It's a really great scene. This is act three. Loved, loved it. So he has the key. Everybody's going to the wedding. Lana's going to the wedding. Clark has a perfect opportunity to really just tell Lana the truth, but he says, I, I think he says, you know, give me another day or something like that. And it's like, oh, Clark, come on, just tell her. Um, and then once everybody leaves, Chloe shows up, of course, and Clark was supposed to tell her what's been going on with Lana, but he hasn't because he's been busy, you know, conversing with Jorel. And Chloe says, you've always been in love with Lana. And I, I thought, yeah, that's right. He has always. So why are you so hung up on this? Why are you hoping otherwise? Um, was she going to tell Clark about Lionel's offer? I don't know. But she leaves. Clark takes the key. He puts it into the ship. It totally explodes. It's a really cool effect. Something like right out of Lost. And this is where everything goes wrong. Just when everything was going right this entire episode... Once again, Clark Clark makes a decision, a rash decision, uh, to to take matters into his own hands. The ship explodes. It causes a massive uh, blowback. The Kents were on their way back home to try to see what was up with Clark. They get hit by this, and um, their ship is—I mean, their 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 truck is totally turned over. 
The storm cellar where the ship was is totally obliterated. I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic ending. And it has consequences. Just like Pa says. Pa says, your actions have consequences, Clark. Turns out, Martha has lost the baby because of the accident. And it's this really tragic scene where Pa closes the, the hospital door on Clark and goes in and com comforts Martha. And Clark is just outside looking like totally alienated, right? Pun intended. Um, and it made me think, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice that the Kents had to raise Clark. But how do they weigh this sacrifice against Clark's larger journey? So I hope that's a question that is looked at in season three. In Act 5, Clark, once again, being rash and, and, and just immature, decides he's going to leave Smallville. Now, this is the part of the episode that even 10 years ago when I did a rewatch, all of my notes are based on notes from 10 years ago, and then I write new notes as I watch um, now. But even back then, I thought, oh, this ending is weak. I don't like it. So he's going to leave... He says to Lana, you know, if you knew the truth about me, you'd never talk to me again, which is a slight callback to um, Visitor when Clark asked Lana how she would feel about aliens. So that was kind of nice. We see Chloe go to Lionel. She's totally going to snoop on Clark for him. She's accepting it now after everything that has happened between Lana and Chloe and Clark. But I wrote here, oh, yeah, she's totally playing Lionel, even if I don't quite remember how it goes, even though I think I do. Something about her switch here is like, okay, this is good Chloe. This is smart Chloe, you know? Take the offer, run with it, but learn what you can. Not about Clark, but about Lionel. So that'll play out in season three. Lionel gives a gift to Helen. I'm not certain if we ever find out what that gift is, um, but... Helen and Lex are going on their honeymoon on the private jet, and then he wakes up, and Lex is the only one on the ship, on the plane, and it's crashing into the water, and I thought, whoa, here again, kind of like a lost. It's like, you have to go back, Lex, you have to go back. Um, yeah, he totally crashes. It's like, how's he going to get out of that one? And where did everybody go? And what is Lionel's role? in all of that. I don't know if we ever really get an answer in season three, but we'll see. Um, and then, like I said, Clark decides he's going to run away. So he gets the, the red kryptonite ring from the episode Red and puts it on and he becomes the bad boy and he's going to run away and it becomes like this, I don't know, like this uh, rebel without a cause thing. And Lana says, I love you. She says, I love you, Clark. And I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. It's come out, you know. And what's he do? He runs away. So I don't know. Is it because having the ring on makes leaving easier? I don't understand where the... I, I do understand where the choice came from. I mean, the Kents kind of pushed him away because of the accident and Ma losing her baby. Um, he He has made rash decisions before that have come back to haunt the Kens. And this is a pretty big one. And he's also trying to run away from Jor-El. You know, at the end here, Jor-El says, you will obey me, Kal-El. That's like really harsh language. And when it's voiced by Terrence Stamp, it just creates enough doubt that you're like, is that Jor-El? 
like I said, we'll talk about that in season three. So yeah, Clark is going to leave. I get it. I totally get it. But I didn't like the ending. Um, so he's on his way to Metropolis on a bike, um, leaving Lana behind, leaving Smallville behind. And that's where we are going to pick up for season three. And if you think about the title, Exodus, Clark leaving Smallville, Lex leaving Smallville one way or another, uh, kind of makes makes sense. All right. So um, as I mentioned, there is one more Smallville comic, Smallville issue number two that came out after the final episode of season two. I have very few notes here. There's a Sam Jones interview. There's an Allison Mack interview uh, where she says that Lana and Chloe, if you put them together, they make Lois. She is both of them put together, and that's why Clark loves her the most. And that's true. I, I can see that with Smallville. Not with the comics, but with Smallville. There are two st comic stories, one called Beauty, about a beauty pageant, and of course one of the beauty pageant contestants is trying to kill off her competition. Uh, it's very kryptonite monster of the week. It almost feels like it could have been a discarded story pitch. It's okay. And then the second one is What I Did on My Summer Vacation, which is um, Chloe and Pete and Lex working with Lex and trying to, you know, it, it almost felt like the Mod Squad. It felt very high adventure, uh, which was kind of surprising and very different for Smallville. It's fine. It's a totally fine issue. There wasn't really much to report about it. Um, I will continue looking at the comics. I believe issues three and four come out right before the start of season three, so I'll talk about that next episode. That's it. That's it for Smallville season two, and that's it for the Daily Rios for week eight. We begin season three next episode. If you have any feedback, Peter at the dailyrios.com, or you can leave a comment on the website. Uh, yeah, I should have finished season three in March, season four in April, season five in May. So I'm going to be trucking along and seeing how well I do. This has been the Daily Rios, episode 501 for Monday, June 14th. Talk to you soon.